0: What's going on? This is the Find Your Fearless podcast and I am your host, Erica Hepperly, your favorite women's elevation and breakthrough coach, founder of the Fearless Feminine Project, gut and hormone health expert. In this podcast, you will find the raw and real moments of what it means to live life fearlessly. From living life in corporate to building my life self-portrait, I will empower you to finally wake up to your life and feel comfortable as fuck in your body. I will ignite your confident superpower so you finally get the hell out of your own way and see the magic in your life unfold. Because when you live your life fearlessly, mm, that's when alchemy starts to happen. Welcome back to the Find Your Fearless podcast. I am beyond pumped uh, to bring you today's guest. Honestly, without her, as you've probably listened to episodes, you've heard her name dropped a couple of times here and there, I would not be on this path and I'd probably still be working a corporate job. She is the CEO of her athleisure brand, Active, and honestly, one of the sweetest souls I know. Welcome, Katie.
1: Aw, so cute. Hi, guys. (laughs) I'm Katie. I'm so honored to be here today. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for taking the time to hop on here. Katie and I met back before my bodybuilding days when a friend suggested I reach out to her when I was on a hunt to find a bodybuilding coach. At that time, Katie was bodybuilding herself, long ways away it seems, and um, she was just so quick to share information and so easy to talk to. And over the years, Katie and I have become really good friends and I've just loved watching her grow her brand and her life. So Katie, thanks again. And I would love if you just kind of started to share how you got started on this journey of life and fitness and all the things that you're doing.
1: I feel like we're dinosaurs now. Like that was so long ago. (laughs) So
0: long ago. Exactly.
1: We met before even I really started to get well, I was into it, but just barely. How many years ago was that?
0: (laughs) That was like in 2015, maybe? 2014. Earlier. It had to be
1: 13, 13 or 14. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was wild, (laughs) and you were you were just so quick to have a conversation, and I just loved it.
1: Oh, so much can change,
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know. Right, it's been it's taken us probably like months to get on this podcast. So honestly, I was going
1: to say it's divine timing because, like, you guys, we've been trying to schedule this podcast for months, and due to my insanely busy schedule and lack of attention to texts and emails and everything. No, you just it everything kept going wrong and it it just wouldn't happen. And we were gonna do it last week and we ran into some audio bums. We had to push it out a week later. But I feel like it was divine timing because last week, this whole past week, I took a break from social media. Like I literally logged off, deleted my apps, and I didn't even open them. And I know that it sounds like really simple, but I feel like I'm so much more enlightened right now. And what I have to say on this podcast is going to be like way better than what it would have been a week ago.
0: See, don't force things, right? Just let them happen as they happen, divine timing.
1: Oh, you guys, if you are addicted to your social media, if you go on it every single day, I challenge you to delete your app for one week. It still will be there when you get back, promise, nothing's going to happen, but it's just such a good mental break for yourself. Like oh my gosh, my mind is so much clearer, I'm more in tune with myself and I realize what's important and I was so much more present and like now it doesn't stress me out as much and the negative things of social media aren't that bad anymore, you know? I don't. Yeah. Know. No, no, no,
0: no. I- that's no that's crazy that you say that because I was literally laying down yesterday. I just have moved and I've been trying to find my own like groove. And I was laying down yesterday and I was like, oh, I put my phone on airplane mode because I was like, I don't want to wake up to any notifications. I don't want anything to do with my phone. And I just keep getting this like intuitive download to get off social media for like a week. So I'm going to go back to LA at the end of this weekend and probably like disconnect because yeah. I've been getting that same thing.
1: Oh God. It's honestly, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but it's the first time in probably five years that I haven't been on social media for wow. that long?
0: Yeah, damn.
1: And it was really affecting me. Yeah, like I didn't think it was, but it really was.
0: What is, What was like your number one takeaway from not being on social media?
1: I just realized how much energy it sucks from me every day. I don't know if it's different from for somebody who just uses it for pleasure, but like since I have multiple businesses that I have to and like commitments that I have to do on social media every day. Mm-hmm. It's like running to running my own personal page, running my activewear page, replying to DMs and comments, and you have to do so within an hour. before when you post, otherwise your post doesn't get seen or whatever. Then you have to um, create all the content to post. I have mm-hmm. to post for my supplement company that I work for. It's just a lot to do yeah. every day on top of also running a business. Yeah. businesses so yeah. and then you have the whole algorithm that's constantly changing and you see all of your friends who are succeeding and growing and getting all this engagement and it's you can't help but to compare and it mm-hmm. sucks to see like you putting so much energy and so much time so much of yourself into your brand on social media and then not seeing that return and then seeing everybody else get The return and meant to eat you up, you know. So
0: yeah, I feel the same exact way. It's like I've been working a long time on I grew my social media and mine's obviously nowhere near yours, but through bodybuilding. So my audience was a lot of males. And so I went through and I was deleting all the males that had no relevance to what I was even trying to do. And so then I see all my friends that are like going and just getting blasted blowing up, and I've been trying to find my own stride when it comes to like myself and I get that comparison too, where I'm like, damn, this person started at the same time as me, but their social media is like blown up and mine's still here or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But it's like, we're all on this like path, our own path. Right. And it's like the comparison, the Mm -hmm. less we can, we can put, the less emphasis we can put on comparison, kind of just stay in our own lane. That's when like the stress gets taken away.
1: Totally. But it's so hard. You almost have to like not follow those people. And I'm starting to like, I'll still follow them, but when I see their posts, I'll just hurry up and swipe away so I don't have to even look. Yeah. And there's not that they're doing anything wrong. Like they're they're awesome. And that's why I followed them in the first place. But I know that it's a trigger for me to be stressed out. And so I'll just pass, you know. Yeah. Also, Instagram especially is not what it used to be. It used to be you posted something and your followers could see it. Yeah. And now, unfortunately The more followers you get, the harder it is to get your posts seen. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's better to be like a micro-influencer when you have like, I don't know, a 1,000 to 25,000 or something like that because you kind of get like quality over quantity. And sometimes your posts get seen by just as much as people with hundreds of thousands of followers Mm-hmm, Ugh, mm-hmm. it gets more complicated by the day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so true. And then, you know, it's so true. Cause it's like, that's what I was thinking. It used to be based on numbers. And then I was like, I don't care about the numbers. I really just want it to be about the impact. Like if I'm mm-hmm. speaking to an audience that I, that is predominantly female, but I have male followers, then my message isn't going to be seen. So what are all these followers even, what do they even mean? Right. And it's like, that's, so important, I think, is just the impact that you make rather than the followers.
1: But then you run into the trouble, especially in the fitness industry. I know you're kind of segueing out of it but mm-hmm. in some way. But then you have the instance where it's like for fitness people, your posts get more likes and therefore get seen more when you post a racy picture that guys mm-hmm. will like, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't get those likes, then it's not going to get seen. Mm-hmm. So you have to play this like, but then I struggle with, I want my message to be for women and I don't want to make women feel bad about themselves or compare themselves to me. I want to be inspirational to them.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's a, walking this fine line of like showing enough skin that you get enough attention that your post gets seen and, and hopefully that you're message is heard. Do you know what I'm trying to say?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have to play a game. It's like playing a game with this algorithm of Instagram and what, of what, like what people are drawn to with their eyes, but also like being authentic in how you give your message because mm-hmm. you always want to stand, especially I know you, you want to stand in a place of authenticity. It's like authentic impact, but also impact at a, at a larger scale. So you have to kind of like right. play this game.
1: I struggle with like, I want to post information and inspiration, but then I see somebody over there and they're posting bikini pics and getting like tons of followers and growth. And then they get to segue that growth into whatever they want to share. And so it's just difficult. I'm kind of brain dumping. This is what's been on my brain for a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's totally okay. I think it's all a part of the journey is like learning these different aspects. And you've definitely, I mean, your message has been so powerful for so long. And I think it's just as you evolve is learning to just stand in the truth of who you are. And I think like giving the audience a little background of how you even got started yeah. in fitness in the first place would give people a really good understanding of how they could possibly grow and impact the size of yours and have a strong message like yours, knowing like where you came from and what, where you started.
1: Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll start from the beginning. So I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Growing up, I played sports my whole life. I was very active and never struggled with body image issues or being overweight. I was just really fit and active my whole childhood. Then moving to college, I moved to San Diego State and was not a collegiate level player by any means. So my school sports ended there and I went for art. So I did nothing active. I lived in the dorms. I went to parties. I drank on the weekends. I ate like crap. And pretty soon I looked in the mirror and didn't recognize myself. I was like, not only do I feel disgusting inside, like my body, just the body composition was not what it used to be. And I was really starting to feel self-conscious and unhappy. And I feel like that's a typical pattern for most girls who don't play collegiate level sports. They usually fall into that typical college girl lifestyle and they party and they gain weight and then they're like, yeah. oh crap. You know?
0: That's exactly where I was. Yeah,
1: it's hard to avoid, but it's also yeah. like part of the journey and learning about yourself. So one day I said, okay, I'm going to do something about myself more because I wanted to feel better. Like I was constantly getting sick. I just didn't sleep well. I didn't feel good. Right. So I joined the school gym and my, <laughs> my experience of working out at that point was like, walk in the gym, don't look at anybody, get on the treadmill, walk for 15 minutes. And leave because i didn't (laughs) know what the hell i was doing (laughs) right it's intimidating when you don't know what you're doing so after a while of doing that and some like crazy skinny tea cleanses that made me drop a ton of water weight i decided like i wanted to get a fitness coach and really start changing my body and building muscle and Upon doing that, I started learning about the bodybuilding world. And, uh, and it was like a whole new world. A oh, whole new world me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> It was like a That's whole new Katie for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was like Ariel coming out. And there was like all this stuff that I didn't even know existed. And I just kind of nosedived in that with so mm-hmm. much interest. Wow. And my first trainer, shout out to Janelle Tapia, who works with me on Active now. Funny. She was a amazing all natural figure competitor athlete and had the most incredible body you guys like if you want to look at her on instagram it's janelle for health she's excuse my french fucking amazing like her body is insane it's muscular it's beautiful and she's all natural and she's just the best so she introduced me to bodybuilding and i decided to make it my goal that i was going to do my first competition and i stopped partying and that was like Something about me is like when I decide something, everything else stops and I give that my 100% until it's done, you know? Well, it's a double-edged sword though.
0: (laughs) True, true, true.
1: (laughs) But my whole life just switched and I was in competing mode. (laughs) I did my first competition and I fell in love and I was like, I want to do more, I want to do more. So that was kind of how I got into bodybuilding and fitness competitions. And then I met Erica, who was also looking to compete at that point, I was already with Team CTN, I think, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So long story short, I did a few competitions. I did a few national shows. And then I went on to do powerlifting. And that's a whole nother story.
0: Yeah. Go too? Yeah, okay. go for it. <laughs> Why did okay. you switch from bodybuilding to powerlifting?
1: So bodybuilding for bikini competitions, I was crushing it. I was getting first place, first place, first place. Then I went to nationals and I didn't even place or get called at all. And after so many years, I think at that point it had been like four years of doing bulks and cuts and bulks and cuts and the up and down for your hormones. I think my body was just like, no, we're not doing this anymore. You crazy. Mm -hmm. And it literally wouldn't budge. And I was killing myself to get ready for a national stage. I was doing over an hour of cardio a day, working out two times a day, eating barely anything. like We just had nothing left to manipulate at that point. Mm -hmm. And my body wasn't changing. And I was just feeling like crap. And I decided, you know what? It's time for me to take a break. It's time for me to take care of myself and listen to my body and just kind of give back to myself. And I can revisit this later, right? So then I started to reverse diet And then I was like, I could use this time to get really muscular. That would be fun. So it was like a new goal for me to try. So I switched from like being, trying to be as shredded as possible to let's try to get as muscular as you can mindset. And at the time I had a lot of friends who were into powerlifting and I was like, that could be another goal for me. I'm a very goal oriented person. Like I always need to be working towards a goal. So when I was transitioning between bikini competitions and powerlifting, or trying to build muscle, I started to feel the effects of rheumatoid arthritis that I hadn't felt yet. And I'm wondering now if it was just my hormones were so off at that point that it was causing problems with my um, immune system. Yeah. But at the time, my mom has a ton of autoimmune disorders. And so I thought it's probably genetic and it's just coming out now. So I got Diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at that point, and when I went in, like I remember laying in bed. that? Oh God, I remember laying in bed, and my body felt like it was just full of cement, and I couldn't move any muscle or joint, and it was just painful, so much pain. I was just laying in there in bed, crying, like, "Why can't I move my body? This is so wrong. Like, how did how did my passion for health and fitness turn into this? Like, this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I decided, like, I need to stop. You know." Yeah, So then I went to um, the doctor and the doctor literally told me, you can't work out anymore and you have to take this medication that they use for chemotherapy because it's an immune suppressant and you have to stop working out and you have to take this and here's an antidepressant to keep you sane through it all. And I was like, that's the little package that they gave me for my answer.
0: Oh my gosh, this is and- why the Western medication system really drives me up the wall. Oh my gosh. And my blood
1: test for re- rheumatoid arthritis came back negative and they still did that. They were like, oh, well it could come back negative and you could still have it. You don't need the blood marker for it. So we're gonna assume that you have it since your mom does and here's your answer. And that's what they gave me. And the um, medication for the chemotherapy that they prescribed for RA will make you get sick because it makes your immune system weak, Mm -hmm, basically. mm
0: -hmm.
1: He's like, you might get sick. You can't work out. And that was like a death sentence to me at the time because fitness was my life. I had changed my major to kinesiology from art history. I was competing. I had started my online coaching business. Like It was everything to me. and It was my Mm -hmm. happiness. And for you to tell me, like, I can't work out anymore, like, that's not the answer, you know? So I went to Google, and I was, like, looking for answers, homeopathic. And um, I started to do the anti-inflammatory diet, Mm -hmm. and within months, my body was completely different. So, I mean, I cut out meat, gluten, dairy, sugar, alcohol,
0: And that's because a lot of you know, just being in the gut health and hormone health world is a lot of inflammation that comes from the imbalance of the microbiome in the gut can cause symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. And my dad also, yeah, my dad also um, struggled with that. And we worked a lot on his nutrition and his rheumatoid arthritis markers were non-existent when he went back.
1: Wow. I didn't know that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So a lot of power comes when it comes to nutrition and a lot of things that doctors tell you, I would always challenge, just to use this as a little teaching point for the audience, is like challenge the doctors and what medicine they think that you have to be on because they're ultimately that's one opinion from one point of view when there's so many other points of views that come to healing and come to the body. And nutrition is the first place to start and it's actually the last place doctors ever even acknowledge when it comes to healing.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm starting to think that I was misdiagnosed because right now I don't have any symptoms anymore. How
0: long has it been since you've had the symptoms? Hmm.
1: So I was a vegetarian for over a year and yeah. I did the anti-inflammatory diet for that long. Then I met my boyfriend and we were on our second date and he's like, you should just try this thing. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> I ate it Cause I was like, hot guy giving me like whatever it was, it was meat or something. And, <laughs> and I tried it and I didn't get any reaction. Whereas before I would eat like a piece of chicken and my body would hurt immediately. Uh And I was like, huh, this is cool. Like I should start testing. So over time I reintroduced things one by one and kind of tested the waters on what reacted my body. And I guess I haven't had symptoms for, I have probably lived symptom free after that. It probably took like six months after doing that for a year for me not to have symptoms anymore.
0: Wow! Wow! No. Yeah! Yeah!
1: And can you imagine if I had listened to them?
0: I'm, I know I the know. whole trajectory of your life would be so different.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of as like a big "f you" to the doctor in my mind. I'm like, I'm going to train for powerlifting because <laughs> mm-hmm. <that's, laughs> you're telling me I can't work out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out. to the extreme. <laughs> I'm going to do the extreme of what you don't want me to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. And I started training really hard. And and at the time, I was still doing the vegetarian diet and eating 4,000 calories a day of that in order to gain muscle and train for this thing. I was eating just whatever I could, like not paying attention to being healthy at all.
0: Wait, I think I, I remember know. coming over to your house one time and you were like, I'm going to eat these. I think they're like bagel bites <laughs> or pizza poppers or something that you would put into like the oven and you'd eat them. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, when you're trying to build that type of muscle, you guys, not even kidding you, I was huge. Like I had a lot of muscle and it was awesome and it was really fun, but it was the hardest thing to maintain because my body's not really meant for that. And so- I, in order to keep all that muscle, I had to work. It was a full-time job. I had to eat 4,000 calories a day. I had to train two hours lifting heavy, 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 heavy weights. It was like a lot of work. It was a lot of work to keep up. And then I got burnt out on that.
0: <laughs> so from bodybuilding to powerlifting, you decided you know your hormones mm-hmm. were kind of needing a break. So you started to increase your calories and reverse diet, right. brought you to the rheumatoid arthritis. And then that you started to heal through that and that brought you to powerlifting. Mm-hmm. What within the powerlifting did you decide, because obviously you're not doing that anymore, did you decide, right. what, what made you decide to move out of that?
1: Yeah, so going through the rheumatoid arthritis thing and realizing how much your food is medicine, that really made me appreciate nutrition so much more through that experience. I just wanted to throw that in there because- mm-hmm it completely was my medicine it changed my my life and my diagnosis and mm-hmm. thank goodness i did that you know i tried that before taking harsh medications anyways yeah i so, think
0: that's a good point sorry just a good point for you to speak to is a lot of women that listen are either ex competitors or are you know or struggle with their relationship with food so to switch that perspective when it comes from food to lose weight into a place of food for medicine, I think is a really good takeaway for a lot of women.
1: Food is medicine. It's important to know the difference between what is food and what is fun. Like
0: mm-hmm. food
1: has nutritional value. Fun, like you can eat a bagel, but that's not food. That's fun. Mm-hmm.
0: You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I love that. Food versus fun.
1: Food, yeah. What's food and what's fun? Just the same as like for fitness, like what's physical activity and what's physical exercise? Mm -hmm. Like there's a difference between activity and exercise. You can walk around your neighborhood, but that's not really exercise. That's activity, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I found myself, by the way, I won my competition, my powerlifting meet.
0: (laughs) 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 Put it in there. Just to put it on top of the show, the doctor, what's up?
1: (laughs) Yes, I was like so determined. It was honestly way more fun than competing, by the way. Being that strong and feeling so good. You feel so good when you do it. Whereas yeah. competing, like you feel like shit on stage.
0: Yeah, yeah you do. It's Depleted. the worst. I always like kind of toyed with wanting to do powerlifting, but it was so fun.
1: It. I mean, I might revisit it someday just for, you know, fun. But shits and gigs. Shits and gigs just to go <laughs> back. So I found myself after my meet, I had won my competition, my meet, and I found myself feeling really, really, really big. Like all of a sudden, since I didn't have a goal to work towards anymore, it was it was like my focus shifted back on myself. And I was like, okay, are you happy? And I felt so big that I felt so masculine and I didn't feel feminine. I didn't feel sexy. I didn't feel like a woman. I mm-hmm. felt like this over masculinated what used to be a, a girl.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's what Not I felt about.
1: Did you? Yeah. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with being masculine as a female because I loved it. On one hand, it was so empowering to be strong and to have that muscle tone and to just, you just feel really good and you do feel sexy. But I was at the point where I was like, this is too much. Like, Mm -hmm. I've gone a little overboard. I need to.
0: It starts to get to a place where you, it's there's like, and I've spoken on episodes prior to this about the balance between the masculine and the feminine energies. And it starts to get to a place where you almost run or have fully neglected the feminine. So yes, Mm -hmm. it's okay to be masculine, but it's also just as beautiful to have a balance between both in terms of how you operate. And so like, I know for bodybuilding for me, and then like you said, for powerlifting for you, it was like almost as if we ran so far away from the feminine.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I go to therapy all the time and I strongly recommend everybody does this, but through therapy in the recent months, like we've discovered that I've had this need to feel strong and to prove to others that I'm strong. And so we've really broken that down in therapy to what has happened in my childhood. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: why do I have this need of being strong and showing people that I'm strong all the time? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to, to take that perspective and step back and think like, yeah, like why did I want to do that so bad? It was because of this,
0: you know? Mm-hmm going to say that's such a great topic to talk on is a lot of what I do with my clients too is going back into just understanding childhood trauma and trauma can be one, like big t trauma or little t trauma in terms of how it affects you and what type of experience it was but it, it does play a huge role in the type of way we show up and what we like what our motives are as mm-hmm. we grow up into our adulthood
1: yeah so there's two sides of this coin The first being when I was growing up in Albuquerque, it's not the safest place. I think it's like number 47 or eight or something out of 50 of most dangerous places to grow up. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's not safe. I don't know the exact number, but it's up there. And I've had so many close call encounters with either sexual predators or like rapists or, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I'll go through a few examples. And I think this happening to me over and over and over. And by the way, nothing ever actually happened. I was able to escape every single time. But the fact that it kept happening to me and I kept experiencing these really close call traumatic events, Mm -hmm. I think it made me have this need to be like really strong, like you can't touch me. You can't fuck with me. I'm going to be stronger than you and I can do it myself. Like I don't.
0: Yeah. Your protection mechanism. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it was. I think it was like, I need to show outwardly that I'm strong and you can't fuck with me. It started when I was in third grade. The first time that happened, we were at Target. It was me, my mom and my older brother. And at the time I was in third grade, he was in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. My mom and my brother were in the little boy shoe aisle looking at shoes for him. I wandered two aisles over to look at the little girl like slippers and this man comes into my aisle and I, I can remember it like a movie. I looked up at him. He was super tall. I was very small at the time, but he was really tall and really, really fat and old. And he had a fisherman's hat on with little like pins on the front. Mm-hmm. And he walked up to me, dropped his pants and his underwear. His
0: oh my god was swinging in the wind
1: <laughs> right in my face. And- he reached out to me with his hand and he, he tried to like grab at me and he said, come with me. I have candy. I have candy. Come with me. It'll be fun. Like stuff like that. And I was like,
0: Whoa. And Whoa. I just like,
1: yeah, I completely yeah. ran away from him, ran to my mom and my brother. Mm-hmm. And I was so little, I didn't really know what happened. So I mm-hmm. was kind of giggling like, Oh, I just saw that guy's like Michael yeah. I was telling my brother, like giggling to him and he knew this was not okay. So he told my mom, Next thing you know, the cops come, they're interviewing me, they look at the videotape, they see the guy running out of the store on the CCTV camera. My mom bought me a Polly Pocket and that was the end of the story for me until a few years later when my mom had told me that the cops had called her like a few weeks after that and said they think they found the same guy and that he was being investigated for two kidnapping and rape cases.
0: Wow. So that was like your first spout of having to make the decision to protect yourself. I think that's what sparked it that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was the recurring events because then mm-hmm. after that, oh gosh, there's so many, but um I snuck out and I was at a party that I wasn't supposed to be at. I was in high mm-hmm. school. This is many many years later. And I was a sophomore and I was talking to this senior who was popular and I thought that it was so cool that he's interested in me and didn't think about how dangerous it could be to go up to this party.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: little teenage brain goes out <laughs> and lies to her parents, goes to this party on the west side of town, which is away from where we lived. And I arrive at the party. He says, park around like a few blocks away so they don't know that we're having a party here. So I park my car, I walk to the party and I go inside and there's nobody there that I know nobody from my school. These are all, I went to a private Catholic school. So everybody Mm -hmm. was very, you know, they weren't hooligans. They were, you know, they were reserved and and everybody had money. You know, it wasn't like the riffraff, but -hmm. this party was full of riffraff and uh, tattoos and girls like pretty much naked. And like when you're in high school from where I came from, this was not You could just tell it was not the place I was supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking around the party for him and I cannot find him anywhere. He's not answering his phone, his texts or anything. And I just start to get this creeping, like, you got to get out of here kind of feeling. So I leave. And as I'm walking towards my car, three guys follow me from the party. And they're catcalling me and they say, like, you're not going to get away. We're going to get you. Don't make us run after you. Like, stop. We're going to have our way with you or whatever they were saying stuff like that and i started i saw my car and i was like i was just ignoring them like don't don't even look back you know like just walk to your car act like nothing's happening but then when they said like don't make me run after you we're gonna get you i was like oh shit, i gotta go so Mm -hmm. i see my car i start bolting to my car they're running after me my car was you had to twist the key to unlock it it wasn't a power lock Uh uh-huh And I just remember like sticking my key in the thing and I was shaking and it was so nerve wracking. And I opened the door and I closed the door on one of the guy's feet and I closed the door. He put his foot out, I closed the door, I locked it. And there was dents all over my car Oh my gosh,
0: wow. I was like,
1: that feeling, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, like where it's absolute terror and dread and like you literally feel like you're gonna die in that moment.
0: Like it's a life or death situation.
1: Totally.
0: Yeah. Right. I haven't, I have not had such like any encounters in that. Thank goodness. However, just like hearing that, like I got the chills and like, like this heaviness in my heart for you. Cause I was almost like replaying it in my head as you were going through it and knowing how like your size and maybe how much smaller you even were then having to like offend for your own in a situation like that. And, you know, it's just like in the divine that you were safe and that you were able to get away. So did you just like shut the door, lock it, and you just drove off and they just weren't hitting your car? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was was one of those instances where had I waited a few more seconds, I would have gone a different way.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Of course, it's like really heavy, but I think it's a lot of great insight into allowing other women to see – to kind of look back at it, to experiences in their own life and how those have shaped maybe patterns or ways that they show up currently that are maybe allowing or keeping them blocked or are t- have taken them farther away from themselves and the truth mm-hmm. of who they are one other thing is like listening to your gut feeling so when you feel mm-hmm. something like i just kind of spoke to you in like underneath your chest in the, the depths of your gut that feeling, that like gut-wrenching feeling, that's like your second brain that knows Mm -hmm. almost a lot times better than your mind does because your mind's so rational and tries to talk you out of things, but your gut knows. So it's like when you do feel that gut feeling, good or bad, because it could be like, I have this gut feeling to create something amazing, right? But always being able to tune into what that sounds like or what that feels like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think having the self-awareness to pay attention to your intuition and to be work on making your intuition be so clear to you at all times, because you can mm-hmm. fall in and out of touch with it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's almost like a muscle that you have to train to like keep checking in with your intuition. Is this really
0: mm-hmm. what you
1: think is going to be the right thing? And, and it'll tell you yes or no, and you don't know why, but you have to listen to it. It's so true.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's such a powerful thing that I work with a lot of clients to kind of tap into, but I'd love to hear like, what is one way that you, that you could tell the audience to work on that muscle of intuition, to work on being able to, to listen to it and have a connection to it?
1: Yeah. Well, I went through a phase where I really got into learning about mindfulness and practicing Mm -hmm. mindfulness. And for those of you guys who don't know what that is, it's so simple and it doesn't mean like, it doesn't mean like not thinking, or when you meditate, it doesn't mean like don't think. When you meditate or when you practice mindfulness, it means when you think a thought, instead of letting your emotions react to that thought and making that your reality, instead of going automatically to that, because that's what our brain will automatically do. For a lame example, if you walk outside and it's freezing cold, your first thought is, oh my gosh, I'm really cold. And then your body is cold. But when you walk out into a cold area and you you hear the thought and it says, it's really cold out here, you have to stop. This is mindfulness. Stop, recognize that that thought is your body feeling cold. And I know that it sounds maybe weird, but Mm -mm. recognizing the thought for what it is instead of immediately falling into that feeling. So if, on the other hand, if your boyfriend says something that really makes you pissed, and you immediately get upset and you react because you're fucking pissed that he said that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm feeling angry right now. And once you identify the feeling apart from yourself, it doesn't feel so personal to you anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's disengaging from your thought, your mind to your body. So it's like your mind is telling you you're angry. Okay, okay. That's a feeling, that's an emotion that I'm feeling right now. That does not mean that I need to react and get upset. I can think Mm -hmm. about why I'm angry, but I don't have to yell and react.
0: Yeah, that's a great, great, great example and very broken down because just going back to even just the understanding of your childhood stories is we often get angry because we are not aware of what it is triggering within us. So something Mm -hmm. that was said maybe from my boyfriend to me and your boyfriend to you, and it was the same exact verbiage and the same exact thing could affect us completely different because it's not the event or the experience that make us angry. It's the way we relate to those thoughts events, experiences. And so for that is like being able to look back at why is this triggering me? Okay, I understand I'm angry, understanding, acknowledging that without judgment. And then why? Where did it come from? Where do I remember when I was a child or growing up that this was actually something that first sat within me and that's why I'm feeling triggered in this
1: experience? Mm -hmm. And it's really helped me a lot with my personal relationship with my mom because Mm -hmm. we went through a period of time where like she would just annoy me so much and I'm like, she was always playing a victim and and everything she said was like, oh, poor me, poor me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just can't stand that. And for a while, we were not close because I was like, I just can't have that energy by me. I don't want it. It's sucking me down and she's so annoying. But mm-hmm. after a while, I'm realizing when she says those things that she's saying that because of a little girl, something that happened to her inside that's making her think that way. And yes. In a way. Yeah, it makes me feel more sympathetic and open to her emotions instead of letting them get to me. Ah,
0: oh, I relate to this hardcore. It's like the more in, in that place of understanding, the less people's responses make you feel a specific way because you have that empathy, like you said. And mm-hmm. you also have your triggers are less and less because you've been working in, on your own journey and your own path. So in terms of in that, like how can, how does that relate to all aspects of your life now? Like in terms of mindfulness, oh,
1: it's every day, it's every day, every thought, every relationship, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. the ones with my dogs, like, <laughs> like seriously, like yeah. it's, it's identifying emotions when they come to you as just emotions and not letting yourself react to them until yeah. you break them down and understand why you're feeling that way. And it, yeah, will, think- it will absolutely change your life. If you, but you have to practice because it has to be an intentional thing. You're not just going to do it automatically. Like you have to wake up every day and say, okay, I'm going to be mindful about everything today. And it's beautiful because you start to learn about yourself and you start to learn about what makes you feel different things and why you feel that way. To me, that's the key to your happiness is knowing yourself a hundred percent and understanding how you're wired Because Mm -hmm. once you understand that, you have the tools to change the direction of your life to whatever you want it to be, in my Mm -hmm. opinion.
0: Yeah, Yeah. huge, huge.
1: Also, a little nugget I wanted to throw back. I feel like a lot of times people, for example, like if you have an alcoholic parent, usually people will go one of two ways. If something happens to them, like say you have an alcoholic parent, you will either also fall into that path because- that's what you know, or you will do everything in your power to be the opposite of that. So I feel like sometimes people, when a traumatic thing happens to them, in my therapy, we went, we broke down every single event with these sexual predators or close call encounters. And she looked at me and she said, it's amazing because everything that's happened to you, you are primed to be in a relationship that's abusive or in a relationship that is bad for you. You're primed to be that way, but you've chosen to take this trauma and do the opposite. Or instead of allowing myself to be in that type of relationship, I was like, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm strong they can't fuck with me. So I'm going to do yeah. this instead. <laughs> Even if like you're out there listening and you feel like you are following in the footsteps or you are a victim to your trauma, you can use this information as a tool to switch that. You're not stuck in that path. You can- decide to make it different. And I think that getting in tune with yourself is the first step of doing that.
0: Yeah, that's a huge nugget is not being a victim to your trauma. And I think that a lot of times people don't know how to not be. And I think what we went through here in terms of being able to look at little or big experiences, because little ones could create big impact. Also, big experiences mm-hmm. can create little impact or big impact. But looking at experiences and going to the depths of your childhood and seeing where that came from, so you know that that's not you. Because Some people think oh, there's just something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I can't do this because of that I can't do this because my family was that or my circumstance was that But
1: or they're so conditioned because maybe their parents told them you can't do this, you're so not good enough you're blah 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 and so they've lived with that as their reality and they're, they're convincing themselves that they can't do something because that's how it's always been for them mm-hmm. oh well I just can't do that no I can't, I can't, I can't it's like that's just because you decided you can't and that's just mm-hmm. because unfortunately everybody else told you you can't but who are they? fuck them do what you want.
0: Right. Be like Katie and prove to the doctor that you can do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) I'm like, I know better than you. I'll prove you wrong. (laughs) But I think that's like huge is knowing that it's your own journey. And if someone outside of you is telling you, you can't do something, whether you have the knowledge behind it or not, one, being able to connect to your gut and understand your intuition and what that's telling you. I had that with my own hormone journey where they told me X, Y, and Z, and I couldn't do this. But take these medications and, you know, but it would turn out a specific different way if I would have listened. It's like listening to that gut feeling and knowing there's always alternatives that if someone outside of you is telling you that you can't do something, that's a big like red flag and a big question to them and also to why are you accepting that news or why are you accepting that as your reality when you're the only one that's living your own life?
1: And I think that the if you're out there and you're saying like, I am this way and I do want to change, but I don't know how, I honestly think it starts with being in tune with yourself enough to understand why you feel different ways. I think mm-hmm. therapy is the number one best tool that you could do for yourself, honestly. Everybody mm-hmm. needs it. Whether yeah. you have the yeah. perfect life or you have a, a really difficult life. Like we all have things we can work through in therapy. And it's all about getting to know your your inner self.
0: Yeah. And and play with that inner child. I love that. Mm-hmm so many good little nuggets there. And I think to just kind of continue down your little journey, I should say your big journey, is you went from powerlifting and then you decided you wanted to connect back to your feminine side. So what were like the next steps you took to get there to where you are now?
1: So then I found myself not knowing what to do or how to get there because everything I've learned is about building muscle, is about becoming lean, but I've never learned about getting rid of muscle because nobody mm-hmm. ever usually does that. Yeah. And I I felt so helpless cuz I was in the gym like well I can't work out because then my muscles won't stop growing. And something that everybody should know is like my body type, I'm more of an endomorph like it's really easy for me to put on weight. Mm-hmm. and like I literally feel like when I squat like my neck the next time my butt is higher than it was the day before. <laughs> it's just a blessing but it's also yeah. a curse when like I'm trying to lose muscle because I yeah. felt like so I ended up just not lifting for six months and I just did cardio and I felt really soft and not good but I, it was I felt like it was a necessary thing to do and then
0: that's the phase started. I'm in right now is like oh, getting God. rid of muscle from competing but like also, I didn't want to run too much where my booty like leaves itself, but then like I don't want everybody muscle. So I'm in that same You should space. do,
1: um, you should do plyos. You should do like plyos and cardio and, and like super high rep weight lifting, like yeah. 25 reps.
0: Yeah. That's what I've been kind of sh- shifting to.
1: Yeah. And it's a struggle
0: because <laughs> it's really, yeah.
1: cause coming from somebody who loves lifting heavy so much. Like it was not fun for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So then you did that and then what led you to uh, wanting to like I guess be so where you are now and and create core active and those.
1: Yeah so through that whole journey I was starting my online coaching business and running that and I kind of skipped this part but when I was competing I had the opportunity to work with Lou Ferrigno for a day who is the original Hulk he was um Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of his biggest competitors during the bodybuilding days. If you don't know who that is, you're crazy. Go look him up. Um, <laughs> anyway, I got the opportunity to meet him and work out with him for a day in Gold's Gym in Venice. and It was like I recorded for, yeah, it was like yeah. recorded for a TV show. And the host of the TV show, it, the TV show is called Celebrity Sweat. His name is Eric the Trainer. And Eric the Trainer is like a super famous Hollywood Trainer and he trains all the famous celebrities for movies and whatever. And he is literally the nicest person I've ever met in my life. But that day that we met, we clicked and we were just totally vibing with each other and we were getting along really well. And he was like, You're awesome. Like you're crushing this. You should go for like more TV spots and like you should try to do this and be in magazines. And I'm like, Yes, please sign me up. Like, this is what I want to do. So uh, we kind of stayed in, in touch since then. But that small event of meeting him completely changed my career because all the major opportunities I've gotten since then was because of him. So that's just, it goes to mm-hmm. show you guys, like you never know how much one person can change your life. Many years later, he got me every magazine opportunity that I was in. Like I was in muscle and fitness men's and Muslim fitness hers. And then I was on the cover of Oxygen magazine and that was all due to Eric the trainer.
0: I remember having to run over to the bookstore to like find your magazine just so I could buy it because I was like, my girl. I know. (laughs) It was the best day of my life. It was,
1: You know, we we did the photo shoot for the cover on my 25th birthday and it was the best birthday of my life.
0: Oh my God. I (laughs) love that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, okay. Fast forward to the to the powerlifting. None of the magazine stuff happened until after the powerlifting, by the way. So I was trying to get rid of all my muscle. And I was also in the honeymoon phase with my current boyfriend at that time. And just my life was different. I I didn't have a fitness goal to, to work towards. I was more interested in investing in this amazing new relationship and growing my brand and I needed to find out where my avenue was for fitness because I was no longer competing, no longer powerlifting. So what was I doing, you know? And that's where it was pretty difficult for me because it was not a concrete goal to work towards. It was more like you got to find what's sustainable for your day-to-day and what you can be happy with every day in your fitness. And I think that that's something probably all competitors who don't compete anymore struggle with because- Once you have your body so lean and you look amazing or even when you're really 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 strong and then you lose that strength it's hard and it's hard yeah. to to figure out your identity when your identity is to be tied to those things mm-hmm. you know
0: your so, identity was tied to a, a goal or a destination and your mm-hmm. physique
1: so it was it was challenging to sort of figure that out but eventually I got in the better mental space of like, I'm okay with my body not being shredded or super muscular. Like, I need to be okay with just using fitness for health and maintaining a healthy look. And that was my new goal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like something that I can speak on so much is that fitness will always ebb and flow. Like you're never going to be a hundred percent progression all the time towards something. Mm-hmm. You're always, your life is going to change. You might get married. You might have kids. You might start a new job. You might do whatever. You might not be interested in fitness for a few months. And that's fine. It's okay to take breaks. And it's okay to not, not have your fitness be your number one most important priority anymore. I kind of shifted my priority into like my new relationship, building my brand and finding out who I was, who I was going to be identified as now.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's kind
1: of what I'm still juggling. I'm still juggling that.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that and everything through your journey because it just goes to show that one, where you start is not where you stay, right? You can always change the trajectory of your life no matter what. And the fact that life is a journey and being able to be okay in every aspect of life, whether you're building a brand, whether you're trying to find the truth of who you are, and I think a lot of what emphasis goes on, especially in society on fitness and no one ever really tells us that it's okay to ebb and flow. No one tells us that Mm -hmm. it's okay to take a step back and shift your focus into other aspects of your life. But I think that's what the beauty of life is, is learning to find yourself and and come back home to who you are, no matter what your identity you're identifying with from your ego and Mm -hmm. learning that you can truly like, shift and pivot and turn and try new things and your identity is not stuck to one thing all the time because you decided to commit to that.
1: Right. And also your best self is not what you used to be or what you could be. You know, like mm-hmm. I used to think like my bet I was at my best when I was this lean or I was at my best when I was this strong or I was at my best when I was on the cover of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Or I was at my best when I sold the most for choreoactive. Like it could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not you at your best. That's an accomplishment that you did, but you at your best is somebody that's happy with where you are in the present moment. That's you at your best. And that's what's so difficult to achieve because we're always striving for what used to be or what could be, and we're never actually happy with what is.
0: Mm -hmm. That's gold right there. Like That's so gold because... In society we're so destination focused or focused on like mm-hmm. our accomplishments like and it's very an egoic thing, and I think when we can start to play with the ego because it's never going to dissipate all the way, but like learn to play with it and know that the present moment is where all the magic happens that it's like if you're always constantly looking at the looking behind you or looking in front of you you're never constantly you're never currently living your life yeah. and you might miss out on cool opportunities that are being thrown your way. So yeah, I love all of that. And I'm just like so grateful for every little nugget you shared here today. Yeah. And I always like to end the episode with asking, what does it mean to live your life fearlessly? So I kind of already said what I was going to say, but um, (laughs) it's okay.
1: So my biggest fear in my life is to not live up to my full potential. That to me is like the most scariest thing because I'm what a waste, you know? Like I want to live my life even higher than what I think my potential is. I think living fearlessly would be preventing fear or not letting fear hold you back to your full potential.
0: Yeah. So not letting fear get in your way or cripple you. I love that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. so So little nuggets she dropped in there. If you like them, if you love them, follow Katie and where can they find you to connect with you?
1: Yeah, I guess I should have said this. We kind of went halfway through my journey, but I still have my coaching business, but I am primarily running my women's activewear line, which is Choreo Active. And so I'd love for everybody to check that out. We have amazing, cute outfits and y'all don't even know what's coming. We've been working (laughs) really hard on getting some really, really cool pieces. We're doing activewear and loungewear and we are even going to do swimwear later on, but um, we should be launching new products every month starting next month and i'd love for you to check it out you can look at the instagram page at choreoactive it's my last name and then active otherwise you can connect with me on instagram at cute KatieBug. you can also find me on youtube under katie Corio, and um i'm sure erica would love to link us up if you'd like to chat so
0: Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you. And I'll go ahead and put her handles um, in the show notes below. So check her out. uh, Screenshot and tag us both in this episode if you enjoyed it. Obviously, leave a review um, if you want to hear more. You want to hear (laughs) more? You want to hear more? That's how we thrive and strive Mm -hmm. here on this podcast. And a little... Nugget is, I highly recommend supporting Active. I remember I was actually part of the very first fabric go-around pickings when we were just first, the idea was first started. So it's very near and dear to me. And Katie is one of my most amazing friends. So go support her. I have a few of the pieces and they're amazing quality and she's always putting her best effort in and always thinking for, and on the forefront of uh, leisure wear. So active leisure wear. So yeah, follow her, check the show notes. I love you so much. Thank you for taking your time. And I'm sure I know that my audience loves you.
1: Oh, I love you too. Thanks so much for listening, guys.
0: Appreciate it.